Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, we are entering into a special time of year. Uh, This is uh, the holiday season begins in full force. And the way the sermon calendar ended and the way the series lined out, we we had this week right before Thanksgiving. A lot of times we we talk about Thanksgiving post the holiday. This year I wanted to talk about it leading into it, to prepare our hearts for it. Because I think it is as, as important a time as any that we have. It is so necessary for us. And personally, it may be my favorite holiday. I I don't think it gets any better. I mean, when you think family, food, and football. (laughs) And not just any football, Dallas Cowboy football. And those of you that love Jesus know what I mean with that. But uh, (laughs) it's it's a great time to just stop. And it feels like so far, at least, it's not gotten too corrupted. Black Friday's trying to move in more. But it's a time to just stop and give thanks. And and it's an important time to just reset our hearts and lives in ways. You know, there's few things that impact us more than gratitude. A few years ago, the Wall Street Journal ran just a story, and it was just summarizing all the studies that had been done about gratitude. And, And really, they summarized it. They said, few things will actually impact every area of your life more than developing a grateful heart and life. Listen to their summary in it. It is pretty amazing. It said, adults who frequently feel grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, more happiness than those who do not. According to studies conducted over the past decade, they're also likely to be less depressed, less envious, less greedy, and less rates of alcoholism. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. That's a pretty impressive list, isn't it? Now, again, this is a Wall Street Journal. Is it in some just kind of happy seminar that came up with it? The interesting thing to me as well, the, the article went on and talked about the impact on children. Few things impact children more than developing this kind of grateful heart. Listen to some of the things around it. They said kids who feel grateful tend to be less materialistic, get better grades, set higher goals. They complain to fewer headaches and stomach aches. They're more satisfied with friends, families, and schools than those who don't. And at the end of it, they said all these findings, we're learning that what we learned in kindergarten or what our grandmothers told us actually have scientific evidence to prove them. You know, Scripture over and over again calls us to be thankful, to have thanksgiving, that it's not just something we feel, it's something we do. If you've got your Bibles, I want want to read one story of Jesus, a story of thankfulness, Luke chapter 17, and if you don't have a Bible, you can pull one right in front of you, one of the blue Bibles in the room, it's page 1041. And you need to turn there. We're going to read through the passage together. It's a pretty simple story, but it really has some profound points about Thanksgiving and how to develop this. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. And on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. 
And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Short little story. Jesus doing his public ministry. He's just traveling between cities. He's traveling between Samaria and Galilee. And if you remember, Samaria was that section right in the center of Israel that the Israelites looked down on the Samaritans. Samaritans were not pure Jewish people. They were a mixed race of different peoples that had been settled there years before. They had part of the Old Testament, not, not all of it. And, and the Jewish people just looked down on the Samaritans as dogs. And as Jesus is traveling, this group of lepers, they, they start screaming from the side of the road. Now, part of the reason they're screaming out with a loud voice is they're not allowed to be near people. Leprosy was one of those diseases in particular that it just was a death sentence. There was no cure. And if you developed it, what would start developing was spots, would usually on the outer extremities, your fingers, your toes, noses, skin would start rotting away. I mean, if you saw a group of lepers, it, it's a little bit like the walking dead. You know, you see the TV shows and the walking, the zombies and, and skin is missing and all with it. That was how a leper would be during that time. And because of that, if you had leprosy, you had to leave your home, you had to leave your family, you couldn't be near people, you had to warn anyone who got near you, you were unclean, don't, don't get near me. And so this group is crying out in desperation, have mercy on us. And Jesus does something interesting, he tells them, all right, go show yourself to the priest. Now that, that would be a strange command to us. But actually, it was a step of faith he was telling them to take. Because if you were healed of leprosy, if you're healed of a disease, the first person you would need to go see is the priest, because that was the protocol. The priest would examine your skin, would examine that you were actually clean, and then there's an eight-day window that they had. As soon as the priest saw you, you had eight days where you were still quarantined. At the end of the eight days, if you still had no signs of it, then you could join your family, rejoin society again. So Jesus looks at this group and he says, you go ahead by faith and show yourself to the priest. Act like you've been healed. And I'm sure when the group heard it, there's, there's probably some grumbling within them that they're thinking, why would we need to go do it? Can't you just heal us here? We've seen you do it. We've heard about it. And, and Jesus is interesting how he heals people in all different ways. Some of his purposes we don't completely know. But this group, when you get desperate enough, you'll do anything. And, and so they start down the road. They're headed to the priest. And at some point in the road, this miracle happens. Now, in our Bibles, it just kind of one line. They were clean. But can you imagine in that moment? 
that, that you're going along and, and fingers that were gone are now suddenly there. And feet that you haven't had feeling in for years, suddenly you can feel the ground underneath. The stench of rotted flesh that's gone. Your face that was disfigured, your nose that's gone. Suddenly it's there and you're looking around and all 10 of them, man, they've been restored. I mean, it'd be one of the most amazing miracles to be able to watch and to see. And in that moment of excitement, man, nine of them take off. And one of them goes back. Now, now here's the interesting thing to me. Don't you know in the moment when, you, when you're healed, all 10 of them had to be so thankful in that moment. All of them had to feel it. There's just no way around it. But only one moved from a feeling of thanksgiving to an action of thanksgiving. Here's the first principle that stands out in it as we think about our own lives with that. Thanksgiving is an action, not just an emotion. I can be thankful as an emotion, which it's a good emotion to have. You don't want to become an ingrate, basically a person who doesn't even feel thankful anymore. But, but there's a place in our life where I don't just feel it, I actually act on it. I actually give thanks. There's, there's action in doing it. And, and we think it comes natural to us. You know, it's interesting studies. Margaret Visser's got a book on the gift of thanks. And in it, she describes how do you learn to be a grateful person? Uh, a lot of times we just describe these things, well, you either are or you're not. That's actually not true. In fact, as they go through, it's one of the things that has to be most diligently taught to children. When they're teaching children just social graces like saying hello or goodbye, children will more naturally do those social graces. You know the one that's the hardest for kids to naturally do? It's to say thank you. Uh, unprompted, a child will only do it about 7% of the time. And, and so it's, it's one of those disciplines in teaching a child that, that, you know, when you've been given something, you say thank you. You express that. Here's an interesting part, too. A lot of times they don't feel it yet until they learn how to express it. The action of saying it, the action of responding to it, leads to the feelings within the heart. The other part that was interesting, she said, on that end of the spectrum, kids literally have to be taught because our own self-focus that we come out of the womb with naturally thinks, I deserve everything I'm getting in life. And so part of the training of the human heart is that learning to say thanks. She said, at the other end of the spectrum, though, it's interesting, people that have had dementia or Alzheimer's and start losing parts of life, one of the last things they ever lose is thankfulness. That when it takes a deep root, it, it, it can go into the heart and the life with that. I, I am challenged in my own life as I think about that, of this sense of thankfulness, that I don't assume that it's just there and training our own kids in it. In fact, if you look at it, and I start thinking about why we don't thank, and you see it in the story here, Thanksgiving is an interruption that takes time out of my plans. Thanksgiving's an interruption. 
As, as they're going along, remember, they're going to the priest. And as the 10 of them are going to the priest, they need to keep going. Because until you see the priest, the eight-day clock doesn't start. Until you've been examined, you're, you're still outside the window that you can go rejoin the rest of life. And so suddenly when they're healed, you got nine guys that are going, this is awesome. I got to go start the clock as soon as I can. I got to go show the priest as soon as I can. I got to look, look, I'm good. One guy though, one guy stopped and he said, no, wait a second. That is important. And I want to do that. But I got to stop and I got to go back. I, I, I have to go tell him thank you. See, it's this interruption. And, and I would say the same is true always. When, when you truly are grateful, when you're thankful, when you do it in a way that people know it, it, it does take time out of your schedule, takes time out of your life, takes time out of your plans, takes time out of what you're doing. You stop and you go, wait a second, I didn't get here on my own. Wait a second, this didn't just happen on its own. And, and there's a willingness to turn and go, yeah, I, I've got to thank you. I'd say this is a fundamental part of our Christian life. One, one of the reasons we come together in church together we have a worship service. You know what the core of worship is? It's worshiping God. It's coming to him and expressing to him our thanks for what he's done. It's expressing to him collectively. He loves the collective voice. He loves the collective worship of his people. And I'll tell you, coming to church every week, it's an interruption in life. It's an interruption to take different time. It's an interruption. This weekend, we'll have a night of worship to take a night and go, I'm going to go and worship. And yet it's that place where I, as a follower of Christ, stop and I go, yeah, I need to do this. I, I come to a worship service, not for what I get, but what I have the privilege of giving. Because I want to say thank you to the God who's blessed me so much. The interruption in life that we're willing to do. The interruption in my life that I stop and I'll write that note to the person. The interruption in life that I'm willing to just stop and allow it to disrupt my life a little bit in order to get my focus off of me and back on the God who's blessed me and the others who've been so kind to me. Look at the third thing in it. Thanksgiving is an act of humility. Openly expressing appreciation for what I didn't deserve. I think this is part of the reason it doesn't come naturally to us. I think it's part of the reasons children have to be taught and we have to relearn it again because there's a part of me that when I thank someone and you thoroughly thank them there's a humility that comes that they did something for me they helped me they blessed me and, and so part of thanks is I, I humbly come and I'll do appreciation in a way what I know I don't deserve. You know, it's interesting of the story, you got 10 and only one was a Samaritan. And, and the Samaritan who's been blessed by this Jewish teacher, I mean, the Jews look down on him for, for him to be healed by it. He recognizes, I don't deserve this. I, I got to go back and tell him thank you. And, and, and there's that humility that comes. And notice how he does it as well. Look, look at it in the, the verse. Then the one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. So there's the interruption. I can't keep going what I'm doing. 
praising God, and I love this line, with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was the Samaritan. The Greek transliteration, I just did the Greek and the English letters. Look at this. He cries out with a loud voice. In Greek, this is phones megales. And here's voice loud. Now look at it. Phones and megales. You know what word we get from this? Megaphone. He's using his megaphone voice. He, he doesn't come back with this nice, you know, like, thank you from afar. There's Jesus teaching and just, hey, thank you, thank you. Love the skin. The nose looks great, you know, thanks. It's not this gentle, quiet little, thank you so much. I'll give you a head nod. Mm. He comes back with megaphone voice. It's loud. It's sloppy. I mean, look at him. He, he falls on his face. He literally, face down, face plant, right in front of Jesus. Loud as he could be, everybody's got to hear this. I got to say this. I got to do this in a way that, that, that I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care how I come off here. I don't have the sense of embarrassment about it. Because I need to thank him. Man, you feel it in that moment? I love the expressiveness of that. I mean, they had had a loud voice earlier when they cried out in desperation. Man, they were using megaphone voice then. But now in his thanks, he's just as loud. And what about you and me? Man, I, I think we're sometimes really good at crying out in desperation. Do we cry out just as much in our thankfulness? Do we actually express it in a way, especially to God? You know, when we come here in worship here, it's interesting as I was reading, if you read through the book of Psalms, you know, Psalms is just a book of worship. It's written by worship leaders for the most part. David wrote quite a bit of them. Do you read through it? It's worship leaders. It was their book of worship for Israel. They would use them in different contexts for worship. Sometimes they were psalms that were written as they went to Jerusalem. And they would sing them on the road on the way to festival. And then they would together use it in worship. You read through the book of Psalms. Notice how many times it talks about shouting, loud voice. In fact, look at Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. People that are right with God, they should praise. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody with the harp of ten strings. Use your instruments. Sing to him a new song. Don't just sing the old songs over and over and over again. God wants some creativity too. Play skillfully on the strings. Be good at what you do with it. Give him a good gift of that. And with a loud shout... Now, look at this, loud shouts, shout for joy. I mean, these are verses we'd read, and we're reading them. Mm, Yeah, that's so good, that's so good. Okay, now it's time to worship God. Ooh, I'm not going to be too loud. It's interesting, even in our worship here, if we're just honest sometimes. It's always interesting to me to see the different type of people, because we're all wired different ways. I mean, some of you are very expressive in worship. 
I love it. I love watching at times and that. Very, I mean, some of you, it's like you're washing the windows the whole time or you're answering the teacher. You know, you got that one, you, you got it going and, that, and it's good. It's some of you, man, you don't move at all. And that's part of how you're wired. I don't think there's rules on all that. But it is interesting to me when I read through scripture, God actually expects us to audibilize our worship. Actually express it. And, and, and some, some, some of you will be singing a, a song like Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. And it's kind of, shout to the Lord, all the earth. And you go, well, Tim, you know, I don't have a very good voice. God doesn't care. Now, we're not going to give you a microphone, but God doesn't care. <laughs> he really doesn't. And you go, well, if I'm singing, I start feeling self-conscious. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. And the whole purpose of it in that moment is, this isn't about me, is it? This isn't about how I come off in my life. Man, I'll just tell you, this Samaritan guy, he convicts me because I need a little more of this. I don't care what anybody thinks. Man, God has blessed my life. God has changed my life. God has done this. And I'm going to let everybody know. You, you thank, you praise in a way that it's really clear what's about your heart and your life. What about you? Now, I recognize some of you, man, church, you're brand new here. Singing with people is kind of weird for you. And I'll cut you a lot of slack. I'm not talking to you. But there's a lot of us, we've been walking with Jesus for years. And if I don't make a conscious choice, I have to do it. If I don't make a conscious choice that, wait, that's why I'm here. This is what I want to do. And the interesting part, it's like the whole thing about Thanksgiving. The action changes the heart. I think it's why God commands us. Not just because he deserves it, but we need it. We need to get outside of us. And it calls me back to him again. Look at the fourth thing. Thanksgiving is expected by God in light of his great mercy. He has an expectation of it. This isn't just a maybe an add-on with it. I mean, notice in the story, Jesus looks at it and he says, now wait a second. If I remember correctly, there were 10 and now there's one. Huh. Nine of them didn't want to say thanks. You feel the expectation even in his questions. And, and for us, I mean, it's explicit in Scripture. Look how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And, and look how clear it is. For this is the will of God in Christ for you. You know, if you've ever reached a point in life where you're going, man, I just want to know what God's will is. I don't know what God's will going forward. And sometimes we're looking for that in a decision. And here, here's one thing, though, that's always explicit. It's always God's will. This is the will of God. One, you rejoice. Two, you pray. Three, you give thanks. And I love this line, in all circumstances. God doesn't want us to be delusional. He's not saying, oh, I'm thankful for all circumstances. I'm thankful in all circumstances. 
I may be going through things in my life that I look at and I am not thankful for them. Maybe it's an illness that you're facing. Maybe it's financial struggles that you're in. Maybe it's a relationship that's tearing apart. Maybe it's something in your household or your life in it and you go, man, I, I am not thankful for that. And God's not asking you to look at bad things and go, oh, be thankful for them. But he is saying, be thankful in it. While I'm going through this season, all right, what, what is God doing in my life? While we're facing this, what, what has he done? What are the blessings? What are the things I can hold on to? Guys, you, you will be amazed if you apply that verse. That even if the four hasn't changed, the in, thanking him in it, awakens our heart and opens us. I love the story of Matthew Henry, the, the Bible commentator years ago. One night he's walking along and he had a, little, a money bag. All his money was in it and he was robbed. Listen what he wrote in his diary. They found this in his diary later with it. He wrote these words. He says, let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my money, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took everything, it was not much. <laughs> Listen to this last line. Fourth, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. Man, that's a great perspective. Thankfulness in everything, in every circumstance. Here's the thing you see as well. Thanksgiving protects me. It protects me from a critical spirit and a sense of entitlement. It, it protects me from moving to that place that I'm critical of everyone else all the time. Moving to that place that I'm critical about life. Moving to that place that I'm not thankful. You know I'm not thankful because I think I deserve better than I'm getting. And, and then through Thanksgiving... The heart stays tender toward God. It stays tender toward what he's doing. It stays open in those circumstances. Guys, it's so easy to move to a place of ingratitude. And we're living in a culture. You know, Paul warns in 1 Timothy 3, he says, in the end times, people are going to turn away from God. And he lists all these horrible things they'll do. You know what he puts in the middle of the list? He said they'll become ungrateful. They'll think they're owed everything. You know, Teresa Kindred wrote an article about a friend of hers who, who's just this giving woman. And one of the things that her friend does is she plants trees in this one park, and it's for families who've lost a loved one. And over the last few years, she's planted 23 trees. And one day she was out there with her friend planting this tree alone, usually. And this woman walked up. And Teresa recognized her. She's like, oh, yeah, we, we had planted a tree for her. And she thought the woman was coming up to say thank you. And the woman walked up and said, yeah, that tree you planted, it's too close to the road. You need to move it. And that's all she said and walked off. And, and Teresa said, I, I don't know what was going on with her. Maybe it's her grief. She said, here's the interesting thing. Of the 23 trees, only two people have ever thanked her for planting them. You know, Jesus looked at it and he said, one out of 10. And that might actually be pretty accurate odds. I'll be honest. If you do ministry, don't do it for the thanks. Really don't. 
But I don't want to be those people. I, I, I don't want to develop that kind of heart. And, and part of it is, is looking at what God's doing, how he's blessed. I, I encourage you, it's one of the reasons I think it's so good to go on short-term mission trips. It's so good to go see what God's doing in other parts of the world. And, and when I say that, it's not so much that you go and you go, oh, these poor people. I'm always convicted when I go. They are always more thankful than we are. They, they have a sense of thanks about what God's doing in their life. I remember a few years ago, I was preaching in a church in Rwanda. We were way out in the countryside. Little church. It was hot. People sitting on these wood pews. As, as we sat up there and the worship service was going and I'm there with the pastor. And at one point I looked and they'd opened the windows in the back to get some ventilation in the room. And two cows had stuck their heads in the back window. They were watching the service with it. And we go about an hour and a half into it. We're worshiping and going. I haven't preached yet. And I kind of lean over to the pastor. I was like, how long is the service usually? And he goes, oh, don't worry. We shortened it because of Westerners. We know you guys can't handle church as much. <laughs> so we'll, we're only going to go about four hours today. So, oh, how long should I preach in that? And he goes, oh, I told him, don't, don't expect the normal sermon. So just preach about an hour, maybe a little more. You know, my favorite part of the worship service was the offering. Because they would place the offering basket down front. And when the people gave their offering, it was, a, it was a time of celebration. They literally would come down and dance in front of it as they gave the offering. Whole church is celebrating. It was about a 30-minute celebration of just different people coming forward. And, and some of them, literally, all they would bring is a little bit of rice. That's all they had to give. Sometimes it was food. Sometimes it was money. But the whole time, it's just this heart of celebration in it. And then to finish and go to the pastor's house, a little one-room place right by the church, and the food he's laid out for us, and recognizing how much he's probably sacrificed out of his monthly food to provide it for us, just the joy and gratitude. See, I, I never walk away from those things going, oh, those poor people. I always walk away going, they got something. Lord, develop that in us. Just gratitude for the things that we take for granted every day. You know, there's a viral video going around this weekend. I, I, I saw it. Uh, of a little boy who's colorblind. He's severely colorblind, and they were studying that at school. The principal of school is severely colorblind, and the principal has these special glasses that allow a colorblind person to see color. Look at the video as this boy gets to see color for the first time in his life. Okay, they're all yours. Okay, they're all yours. Let's see what it, see what it does. <laughs> So what do you think then? Look, people. He cried. That's awesome. Hey, come here. Come here, dude. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Ma, you better get in there too. That is so awesome. I told you it's going to be a little emotional. Hey, now that just tells you how beautiful the world you have. God and I got to see it for the first time, right? So be happy. Be appreciative of it. All right? <laughs> that is so cool. 
Yeah. When's the last time you thank God for color? When's the last time you thank God that all of us who know Jesus, we see life differently because of him? And shouldn't we be the people that our thanks is that sloppy thanks? It's open, visible. Final thing I, I want to point out to you, and it's really important in this passage, Thanksgiving is a doorway to greater spiritual growth, guys. It's a doorway to more. It really is. Because as you look at it, look at the last thing Jesus says to the Samaritan. Look at the last verse in it. He said, and he said to him, rise and go your way. And then notice this line, your faith, and actually in the Greek, the line here, your faith has saved you. And commentators really debate about this. That they talk about it, that there's something going on in this guy's life that goes beyond the other nine. And as you look at it, because he went from just being thankful for the one who healed him, what he had done, to now he's worshiping for who he is. And I think the doorway of his life is opened because of Jesus. That's powerful in that. And here's where I would encourage you. This is why thanksgiving is so important. I think it's why God calls us to it. Because it forces us to thank him again. And instead of being frustrated about the things in life that God's not doing, the things I think he should be doing, it calls me back to thank him for what he is doing. And as I start focusing on what he has done and he is doing, it starts opening me up in a new way to who he is and what he can do. See, when, when I become ungrateful, when I become self-focused, I lose out on the opportunity not only in thanking him, but in growing with him. What about you? Are you thankful? Do you thank him in your worship? Do you thank the people in your life that have blessed you in a tangible way, in a way that they would know it? Do you thank him for the little things in life? There was a missionary years ago named Dick Dye who went down to Acapulco. And he was trying to plant a church there and it wasn't going well. And, and as he was trying to plant this church, he, he found himself frustrated every day. And, and on one of the mountainsides in Acapulco, there was this huge cross that was up there. 
And every day as he would drive around, as he would walk around, he found himself just looking at the cross, looking at the cross, and just thanking God for the cross. Then finally one day he thought, you know, I'm appreciative of whoever put the cross up there. So he drove to the top of the mountain, and as he got there, he found out it was a big hotel. And he went into the secretary, and he said, I'd like to talk to the owner of the hotel. And she said, what's your business? And he said, well, I would just like to thank him. She took him back to the office. It was a German gentleman that owned the hotel. And he's sitting behind the desk. And and he just said, I I really don't have any business. I just, I've been here several months. I've been really discouraged. I'm a missionary. And every day I look up at that cross and I can't tell you what it means to me. I just wanted to thank you for putting it there. And the German looked at him for a minute and then put his head down on his desk and started crying. And he finally stopped crying long enough. He, he said, I have had nothing but criticism from people for that cross. You're the only person who's ever thanked me. He said, so now who are you and what do you need? And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, you, you said you're a missionary. What do you need? He goes, do you need a place to meet? And he goes, yeah, nobody will give me a place to meet. He said, come on, come with me. He walked around behind the hotel. There was a chapel. He said, I built this chapel. He goes, I got a church meeting here at 9 o'clock. I got a church meeting here at 11 o'clock. You get 10 o'clock hour. It's all yours. And his work changed from that day. Now, guys, hear me. I'm not saying, oh, thankfulness automatically unlocks in that. But I promise you this. Thankfulness is always a journey of knowing God more and being open to what he's done. This is Thanksgiving week. Who do you need to thank? And it will be an interruption and it will take time. Take the time to thank the people in your life and thank them well. And then stop this week and take the time to thank God. Thank him for what he's done. Maybe you don't want to thank him for your circumstances, but you can thank him in your circumstances. Thank him for what he's done in your life. Thank him for what he's done in your family. Thank him for what he's done in your heart. And if nothing else, thank him for the cross. Thank him for Jesus. In fact, we're going to finish out our service here doing just that. Thanking him for the cross. Through communion. Through through the simple action of taking the bread and the cup, we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. And so I'm going to pray for us and then have the ushers come. And I want to encourage you, when they come, if you're a follower of Christ, take communion with us. And as you take it, and especially as you hold the elements, as you're waiting for them, as you're thinking about it, would you begin in your heart now just thanking Jesus? Thank him for the cross. Thank him for tangible things he's done. Let's use this as a way of remembering him and turning our hearts toward God. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he accomplished for us. We thank you that even though we are a people that we have a tendency toward ingratitude, toward forgetfulness, toward thinking we deserve all that you've given, you're a God of graciousness, of love. And so, Lord, as we come to this table now to take communion, 
I pray, would you stir in our hearts gratefulness for Christ, a Savior who would let his body be broken and his blood shed? Would we have gratefulness for forgiven sin, maybe sin that weighs on our hearts right now and things that we feel so guilty about to know that we can leave them at the cross? Lord, would, would we have gratefulness that you've changed our lives, that we literally see the world differently because of Jesus? And Father, as we come, we come with a heart of thanks because you loved us first. You gave first. And so we give you this gift of thanks. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.